Welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Cybersecurity affects us all, whether we are at home, managing a company, supporting clients, or even running a state or local government. Join CIS's Sean Atkinson and Tony Sager as they discuss trends and threats, ways to implement controls and infrastructure, explore best practices, and interview experts in the industry. We are here to bring clarity to these complex issues to bring confidence in the connected world. Well, hello, I'm Tony Sager with the Center for Internet Security. Welcome back to the CIS podcast. And I'm joined again by my friend and colleague, Sean Atkinson, our CISO. Hey, Sean. Hey, Tony. Yeah, and if, uh, this is a bit of a continuation of a conversation we uh, started in the prior episode. So Sean and I don't get, to, you know, the way things are today working from home, we don't get to see each other very much. So when we get a chance to talk, it's things like there's an infinite number of topics and they, uh, there's always more to say about that. So welcome back, Sean. And where we talked last time, uh, we, we started with kind of a notion of what the conceptual model of cyber defense ought to be, right? And I gave the example of, you know, thinking about, we would love cyber defense to be like an event, right? Or a thing that we buy or a tool that we implement or a training that we put in place. But, you know, it's not like that, right? It doesn't end. This is much more about putting in place what we call defensive machinery. That is a way to gather information, make rational risk-based decisions upon it, and put them in place, check the effect, and try again, right? And it sort of never ends. So once you think of cyber defense as machinery, then you start thinking about designing the machine, and you think about the inputs, what outputs do I want, about optimization, right, about minimizing my costs. So all that goes together sort of as a conceptual way to think about the, the challenges of defense. And uh, Sean, I think we also talked uh, briefly about uh, OODA loops, that acronym, right? Observe, orient, decide, and act. Another conceptual way to think about this, that is the, your cyber defense machine is really driven by information, right? Your ability to bring it in, uh, sort of make sense of it, right? Does it apply to me? What do I need to do about it? Take action, right? Make that decision, take action, resense where you are, and then go again. So that, that was the basic summary of our last conversation. So this time we'll talk a little bit more about kind of like, what do we actually do, <laughs> right? So we have a model. We talked about some of the practical issues in planning and thinking and you know, your role as a CISO, uh, the interaction with the IT team and so forth. But, you know, so now we're gonna, now we need to help folks, I think, think a little bit about the real decision-making, right? What, what do I actually get? What do I put in place? What do I do? What should I measure? And all those kinds of things. And I know this is a way of life for you. So, you know, you've had to give these kinds of things a, a lot of thought uh, in your work here at, at uh, CIS as well as, as prior jobs. Any sort of opening thoughts about, you know, this? this uh, how did you get started, like when you came on board? Sure. Yeah. No. So I had followed basically a, a practical 90 day CISO starting guide. You know, it's understanding the business. Okay. You know, got to work with stakeholders in terms of, really understanding what are we trying to do as an organization? Uh, and then how can I help influence that with the uh, underlying pressure that we're a cybersecurity company to begin with? And so that- uh, <laughs> No pressure, Sean, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Um, and so from there, it was then using our underlying product and, and what we have available to then influence our capability and the underlying framework that we're gonna to adjust to, how we're working with vendors, data management. So there was a plethora of things that, as a CISO, you kind of have to um, you know, have a holistic view. And then you come in and then start doing, again, a risk-based process of trying to assess where's the highest risk, what's needed from my perspective in order to influence change and potentially mature elements of the organization. 
Gotcha. Now I have to ask because I've never had a job like yours, right? What were your marching orders? <laughs> did you were you what kind of guidance did you get from the boss or the board yeah. when you came came on? And so I have to ask because there was one time a security thing we did back in my prior career at NSA, and I, w I won't mention the very highly placed military officer who called our team in, and he yeah. said one thing: we were standing up a website. Uh, when my if my picture gets defaced. Everyone's fired. That's your only job requirement here for your design. Any questions? Good. Thank you. So I don't think you got anything quite like that. No, I didn't get anything like that. But no, it was to um, want to evaluate, you know, what's your opinion of our current position in terms of security? You know, we, we, you're managing several things is a control framework, the underlying risk across the organization, and then our maturity and our underlying infrastructure of protection, you know, defense in depth. Mm -hmm. Do we have enough depth in order to protect ourselves, our underlying assets? And so it was there where I brought the questions to start answering where I thought we were. And then what's the recommendation? So that's like the first 90 days. The first 90 days is all about questions. What is okay, our so it's almost a listening tour there for that first 90, exactly. right? Sort of figuring out what you have and what people care about and so forth. Okay. Exactly. Definitely. Yeah. And, and uh, so as you kind of made your way around, right? So we were at that time, as I recall... Uh, primarily a headquarters-based company with, I don't know, a couple dozen people maybe uh, working from home across the field. But we also had uh, a number of complex uh, relationships with, with vendor friends, right? Sure. And the need to get access to data, you know, in a, in a sort of modern sort of way. So anything strike you as unusual or challenging? Was, is it sort of in the mainstream of what a modern IT company yeah. would face? No, th th I mean, there were challenges, obviously, just given the underlying composition, as you mentioned, there's certain vendor relationships that we have that are unique. Um, and then really working within, uh, and again, I have to reflect on working in a cybersecurity company, doing cybersecurity has mm -hmm. its own perceptions, right? You know, that has mm -hmm. its uh, own challenges. But again, when we think about it, it's really everybody has the same questions. It's not unique just to us. There are obviously unique situations that everybody should be asking these same questions in terms of risk control, business value, what is our underlying objective? Mm -hmm. Those are general questions that anybody could ask. Okay. And so the 90-day the plan that you had, you feel pretty confident that was mapped out well uh, for you and that you sort of, sort of at least knew what to do as you were gathering information. Yeah, Absolutely. It was well mapped. Um, but again, it was not prescriptive by any means. It was, this is a suggestion. You know, what are you bringing to the table? You're hired as the CISO. What do, what do you think? And it was, yeah, I think that these make sense. I would do this a little bit differently. Here's the questions that I'm going to ask. You know, it wasn't prescriptive in terms of how I articulate those questions. But as long as I got to the answer in my own way, you know, that was the freedom I was given as, as the scissor. Yeah, that's an, and so for people who, you know, wind up in a job like this, right, you come in sort of cold. I mean, there's there. So you had some resources to pull in, right? Something right. that you said you had a 90 day plan that you could kind of follow, uh, you know, as a guide. So, yeah, and part of that is making sure that you get that time, right? Get that 90 days. Now, I can't oh. tell you how many times people have come up to me and said, you know, my boss has a limited attention span. And if I don't produce something useful pretty quickly, right. you know, I'm at risk. So he's managing his own risk as you do that. But I, I think you've, I, th I hope you found, you know, that there was a lot of uh, interest in making sure that we had done a good job, right? That we had asked all those questions internally. Absolutely. Uh, one of the Absolutely. things that was, I think, unusual about this job, you've talked a couple of times about being the CISO for a security company, right? So in effect, we had some products, right, for you to work with. Yes. And uh, so CIS benchmarks, you know, really the, the, the uh, 
uh, content around which the company was founded 20 years ago, right? How to configure a, a desktop component or a mail server, or web server, or whatever. So tell me about your sort of okay. How do how do I uh, were we using those at the time, or how did you see them as part of your bag of tricks, or how sure. did you sort of bring them and make sure that we make best use of what we'd already created? Yeah, no, absolutely. As a uh, a former uh, Secure Suite member from previous organizations, I came in and I was, okay. oh, I better get a free membership, surely. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, very good. And so you should I negotiated your contract. <laughs> Exactly. So the benchmarks for me are foundational. Um, mm -hmm. Rather than me trying to define what makes sense from a security perspective, I have a list of this is what to do. This is pre-configured, mm -hmm. ready with control, and I'm able to accomplish uh, that capability. Fantastic. Baseline configuration, we have that within the organization. How are we mapping to that? And I think the most important piece there is the deviation. Uh, any set benchmark needs some tweaking in terms of implementation to produce the underlying value or whatever the underlying function of the particular um, desktop server or service that we're, we're mm -hmm. benchmarking, as it were. Fine. As long as we articulate those, detail those, that's fine. So we could allow customization. And again, through Secure Suite allows me that capability and then implementation. Now I can monitor. I know what mm -hmm. a requirement is. I can audit against that on a regular cadence to make sure we've not deviated. Any deviation requires change management. Uh, and that's where uh, just a really important point, Tony, is my work with the CIO is absolutely critical. If that communication is not set up there with respect to this is my expectation, here's right. what I found, what are we going to do about it? And, and it was never like that. There was always a conversation and it allowed us to really mature, um, one, that underlying program, which was in play, it allowed us to mature that a lot faster, to build in an audit program that I had, you know, uh, not necessarily of my own creation, it was my own influence in terms of building a governance risk and compliance framework within the organization to then manage our audits and, and really the governance of security uh, across the organization. Yeah, you know, and the model you described, uh, Sean, that, that feels right to me and has always felt right. That is, you know, using a, a, a CIS benchmark, right? So uh, a, a recommendation about the configuration that gives you best security effect, right? In the broad case is not about one size fits all. It's about changing the discussion from let's start from every component is wide open and then figure out how to do better to the expectation is here and we can argue above, we can argue below. But whatever argument we make, right, it has to be transparent, uh, documented, and it's part of the decision process. So it's not one size fits all. It's the discussion starts doesn't start from scratch. It starts at a place where we have some confidence, right? The assumption is that CIS has, you know, through our volunteer army and, you know, through vetting and testing and working with vendors uh, has given you a great starting point. And I think, you know, I tell anybody, anybody who starts you know, as an enterprise, building their own baseline configurations from scratch is absolutely wasting time. I mean, it's just, yep. it's, not a, it's not a good use of your resources. Your time is best spent on the things that are unique uh, about your organization, not about you know, those things that are in common with everybody else. Exactly, exactly. And that's why, Tony, I didn't start by coming in and saying, I need to see the configuration of every system. I needed to understand the details, okay. but we didn't have to start from scratch. We already had best mm -hmm. practice in play. We already had the recommendations aligned. So it saved an order. you know, I'd need a 900 day plan if I was going to do that for every system right. rather than 90 day, right? You know, it, yeah. it just accelerates your maturity in, in, in such a way that, again, used it at previous organizations because it was 
like to your point, it's the right thing to do. And it makes the most sense to get consensus-based input into underlying controls and recommendations. Yeah. And when I, when I came on board in, in 2015, and, I, and I'd worked these exact same issues right for the government at the National Security Agency. And one of the first things I told the benchmarks team, and they, they had it intuitively, but I'm not sure everyone appreciated the importance of it. I said, um, we have to look at this sort of question of tailoring for a particular operational case. But the technology should always be able to take us back to the source. That is, I should always know the difference between kind of what, what I wound up with and what I started with. And again, another uh, government uh, CISO I, I worked with, and I was going, I was, had set up a meeting and I was going to convince him, you know, it would really be a good idea if, if uh, he used these NSA security guides as the basis for their enterprise uh, uh, security program, exactly in the way that you described. And I get in the meeting and he turned, out, he turned out to be an old friend. And he said, Tony, I'm ready for you. I check with our people. We, we used the security guides that your folks produced. I said, great. And then I asked him the question. So what's the difference between what you started with that came from our folks and what you wound up with? Yep. He goes, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> Let me get back to you. Exactly. And he turned out they had turned it over to the IT contractor who yep. had done some magic to it. And they had no idea what the difference was. I said, so what you did my friend, was really throw away the value that you started with, right? You, you could have said, I started from a place with, you know, trustworthy, not perfect, but known security properties. Mm -hmm. And I've made some legitimate operational changes, right? For perfectly good reasons. And, but that should be part of my decision process and therefore documented and signed off and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. But, but I, I told the team at CIS, maintaining this technical linkage always back to the source is critical because then it allows you to kind of manage that downstream, right? And no auditor or decision maker could come in later and sort of have to start from scratch, right? That's just would be an unfortunate waste of resources. So, Absolutely. Yeah, so it's, that's, a, and I think it's, it's like, Sean, your approach was really sensible. And then to, to think of it as, you know, how do I uh, sort of understand first before we, uh, you know, sort of come in to dictate, you know, this is my favorite uh, configuration setting and therefore you should do it. Uh, there was, there's probably more complexity uh, if you talk a little bit about the CIS controls, right? Which are at a higher level of abstraction and really subject to more maybe interpretation or sort of context, you know, that is you have sure. to think about the, the, how, how you use them. And I know you spend a lot of time sort of thinking about the approach and, yes. and how they would be applied to, to CIS as a computing enterprise. Absolutely. Uh, and just going back to the, the benchmarks, the way I call it is a lineage. You know, you go from what was recommended oh, all the way okay. to what you exist with. Know your lineage, you know, basically manage that as an approach. And it allows you then to answer the questions that you asked is where did you start and where did you go? So that's just critically mm -hmm. important. Always have that documented. Yeah. It's always good. And I think you know, the team is, is doing a great job on the sort of technical infrastructure part, right? To make sure that that linkage from, you know, for me, um, when you're in the security advice business, you have a responsibility to sort of, I'll call it, uh, maintain confidence or trust, right? Yes. That is, if we've made a recommendation, that's that's the result of work of really expensive, scarce labor. And so you want to make sure that it gets conveyed or moved with high confidence. That is the thing that winds up in a vendor tool or implemented on a desktop or whatever is what we started with. And so you have to provide some you know, technical plumbing or infrastructure to do that. And again, I think that's all part of what we're doing at CIS is making sure that that is rock solid technically uh, in line with industry standards, you know, easily ingested without manual. And by the way, the, the world of the early 2000s, when I started looking at these things, people would literally download the NSA security guide or an early CIS benchmark and read it 
and poke it into a right. script language or cut and paste it into a spreadsheet or whatever. And there's still some of that around, but uh, you know, expensive, error prone, right? A complete yeah. break in the confidence. And so, you know, we were very conscious of the need to make sure that this kind of, uh, you know, hard earned guidance is really conveyed in a way that maintains that all the way through. And, and, and then that's inherent, inherently part of the model that you described. So, yeah, and, and to the controls? Yeah, sorry, uh, sorry. Um, oh, no. no, the controls, um, that made me a fan. I was working with uh, controls version five uh, in, in my early career. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. As and now is when I came to the organization, and you know, looking at the control implementation, there's the reason it's a higher level of abstraction, as you mentioned, is there's there's so many nuances about how to implement the controls. And in a lot of cases right. with an underlying operating system, it's a, a binary decision, it's enabled or disabled in terms of some kind of control. Mm -hmm. With the CIS controls and, and their evolution, um, as we've seen, is the need to be able to understand, measure, and mature on a consistent basis is critical. And that's mm -hmm. a, a whole part that was the basis. It's my underlying framework, obviously, um, at the organization where we use the CIS controls, is that's my foundational framework. It is That's what I work from in, in terms of the CIS framework. And then I'll map to everything else. And then everything else you know, mm -hmm. will map back. There may be some gaps in some uh, respective frameworks. But the CIS controls for me gave one, it was actionable and I could implement it from a technology perspective. It wasn't um, just do this particular control. It was do this control with this emphasis and these elements. And that allowed me to then to implement what was what I consider realistic controls that gave me a perception of this control is working because the whole auditability of the CIS mm -hmm. controls framework is written into their description. You can now measure the capability based on the way they're described. That's unique among frameworks, um, you know, respectively to others. Um, there's do this, but there's no underlying technical implementation. You know, you figure that out, but be able to come back and represent that you've done this in some form or right. fashion. That's very hard. Um, and especially when we talk about not only is it the fog of more in framework, but it's also the fog of more in terms of technologies. How do I implement this? Well, I've got 50 different capabilities to do that. So it's a, it's a difficult problem. No, and uh, we've never, and this, this is not a plant, we've never discussed this at, at this level, but I appreciate because that, that feedback's helpful. Sure. And, um, you know, I was discussing with um, <clears throat> some uh, serious government agency a, a couple of weeks ago about this idea of automation. Right, and and what I the point I made is the one that you just made, which is automation doesn't just happen. That is, the yeah. way you write the security requirement, recommendation, or whatever in the first place, right, can either make automation possible or very uncertain. And so we have taken the the approach, and, and thank you for your feedback on it for the last couple of versions. The, the slang term that we use in in uh, among the team is one ask per safeguard or one ask. ASK per subcontrol. That is, we try to write things in a way that is discrete, right? Both prescriptive, uh, not long narrative that could be interpreted as four or five or 10 things, but something that's fairly discrete because the notion is if you ask for one thing, then you can define a measurement or a test, or exactly. you can sort of build the whole life cycle out, right? So the goal is not write the most clever prose. The goal is to be aware of the whole cycle of I'm going to have to implement it. 
I'm going to have to measure. I'm going to have to report on it. And so, you know, if you think ahead of time as you create the recommendation, then you have the opportunity to make the workflow much smoother in, in the way that you described. I won't say that we're, we're perfect at it, but I think we're very conscious that that is really important because of the complexity. And then once you leave too many interpretations or you leave it wide open, then every auditor has a different opinion. Every decision maker is, has to be convinced sort of narratively. And you just create a whole you know, stream of work that follows from that. So that's the philosophy. And I, again, we didn't have not discussed this before, but thank you. For, I think you picked up on, on what we were trying to do with it. And, oh, absolutely. And uh, you know, it, it is a helpful way for us to interact with these other frameworks. It also makes it complicated, right? When you try to uh, say cross map from one to the other, then you have this language and abstraction barrier and so forth. But but that, you know that, that's a very uh, sensible, uh, Sean. I really appreciate your the thoughtful sure. way you describe that. Absolutely. Let me ask you one question that comes up a lot with uh, folks that we uh, work with on advice and so forth is sort of um, one form of the question is how, how do I do the best with what I've already owned or what I already own or already do right before I start buying new stuff. The sort of flip side to that question, I used to ask vendors to the U.S. government uh, because I started hearing this from vendors. They would say something like this, right? IT and IT security vendors. The customer only uses fill in the blank percent of what we sold them. Okay. And I never heard a number bigger than 40%. So I don't know what your answer might be or your experience. But I, so then I just started to ask vendor friends that question. Oh, what? What's the what's your number in here? And it was always 30, 40%. And they were, oh, if they only knew or they turned this on or I told them. And so there's a question of like, how do you know, I don't want to buy a lot of new stuff until I both go through that assessment process that you talked about, but I also want to make the best use, if I can, of what I already own or what I already do, right? The processes and management support. So any thoughts on that or what's your impression of that kind of a uh, yeah. question? Am no. I making it up or does it sort of make sense to you? <laughs> no, it certainly makes sense. You're right. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the adage is a lot of the capability of systems there purchased for a single tool or a single metric mm -hmm. or a single control implementation. I need it to solve this particular problem. And then we never, we don't go any further. And that's, you know, to the detriment of um, either ourselves or doing the assessment from a GET perspective to say what other areas in terms of control deficiency could this help implement? And then I'll reflect back on the vendor piece. And again, this is not all vendors, so, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not sure, is oh, they only use 40% because they haven't purchased 60% of the add-ons that could do all this gotcha. extra capability. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sure, yep. so sure there's some of that. It's some of that as well. So the way I look at it, it's you're not going to solve the security problem with tools. It's not all about you know defense in depth or tools in depth. It's about okay. the right process, the right procedures, the, utilizing the capability to maximize your either capital expenditure or your operational expenditure for keeping it up to date, or if it's cloud-based, whatever it happens to be. Now, doing that gives you a capability that, one, um, you then can define and manage your gaps because you want to maximize your investment. So you need to really understand the technology. So either that's you've not understood the technology or you haven't been taught the technology by vendor representation, you know, uh, sales engineers, security engineers from the vendor themselves. Get the maximum of that information through that vendor relationship. Doing that allows you then to uh, prescribe at least the capabilities it, it has. The problem in some cases, Tony, and it's maybe a reflection in some of the questions is, uh, in the question itself, sorry, 
is when we get to um, some organizations, um, we see a lot of merger and acquisition. So it's I do one thing really well. And now I'm bringing in new technologies that are additional or new capabilities, new functionality. But I know how to sell what I'm really good at. And the add-ons are just, you know, to, to increase really my sales opportunity, as it were. And I think that gets lost sometimes in terms of the mix of the product that you're purchasing um, and to where, oh, I didn't even realize as a consumer of this particular tool or product that you could do that. And, and so I think there's, you know, it's on both sides of the fence, as it were, in terms yeah, of... Yeah, I've, I've heard that a lot. I remember sort of the early days of uh, of all this and talking to a bunch of Wall Street friends and, you know, and all these discussions of merger and acquisition. It was like, well, the, who gets, who is the last person to be asked if this is a good idea or not? Right. It's the IT people, right? And so you wind up with this mishmash of, um, um, you know, You've got uh, five tools to detect initial exploit and nothing to deal with the lateral movement or the you know exfiltration of data or whatever. You, you just wind up with this grab bag of things that you really don't understand the capability of. And so, you know, building a case to say maybe I could un uninvest in some things and reinvest that elsewhere and trying to have a strategy is is a. Let me let me ask you uh, sort of a, I think it's a real life question. The number of folks have talked to me about also is uh, so you know as a security people we we think of security tools. But this, there's a, a real thinking about when you're trying to figure out what 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 am I trying to measure? What what's the, the feedback part of my information uh, cyber defense machine, right? The the interplay between sort of IT operational tools and specialized security tools, okay. is that a is that a thing that you've had to kind of think about and say, well, I you know I, I I'm I want to know some security information, but it's already present, for example, in my IT ops tools, right? The way we manage software licensing or yes. other kinds of sort of uh, non, you don't think of them directly as security features, but managing them gives you information that's very helpful to make a, a risk decision. Any any uh, you know times you've had to think about that or how did you Definitely. Uh, sort of perceive that and how do you bring those together, right? Because at least in big institutions I've been a part of, at least the old days, it was, well, the IT people are down that hall and the security ops people are down that hall. And you know every once in a while they have lunch together, but it, it was really hard to sort of bring to, to see a common information environment, right? And so you, you see them buying tools for security that would recreate essentially what we're already using to manage uh, the environment. Absolutely. See that all the time. Uh, and the problem, and that's really one of the reasons of my initial 90-day investigation was what do we have from an infrastructure perspective in terms gotcha. of tooling okay. that then can contribute to my overall metrics? Because I didn't want to come into an organization and say, okay, uh, you know, I need a million dollar budget because we're, you know, we're, I need to add all this capability. It was finding that capability that does exist yeah. in IT operational tools. It exists. And okay. now the one question maybe is the context in which it's represented may need to be changed in terms of your interpretation of the data. So you may need to extract it or extrapolate on what's okay. represented from the IT perspective in terms of, you know, capacity management. But, uh, you know, mm -hmm. is that across our entire fleet? It is. Can we use capacity management as an indicator that we're overclocking CPU because we're doing, you know, something's running that shouldn't be, and I've got behavioral analysis. Hey, I've just got a ton of telemetry right here. You've just provided yeah. me an indicator, right? So it's it's those types of things that we can make economies in terms of, and why a CISO or an, an information security group working with an IT group uh, can do so many great things together uh, if we, uh, you mm -hmm. know, integrate and share. Uh, and CIS, that was plainly, I made that, uh, and uh, our CIO, Angelo, uh, just, you know, 
we, we talk practically every day and that's the reason why we have such a good relationship and why it works. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's, that's obvious in the way things have gone for us here. And yeah, and that's a great example, Sean. And I hadn't thought of it that way. You have to kind of take information that might be uh, sort of interpreted differently or presented in a different context, right? IT operational data. And you might think of it differently uh, in terms of the kind of security decision that you're you're trying to make, so I have a, another old war story, if you don't mind. So I remember in the again in the, in the early days of this being at the Pentagon, and we were talking about sort of the gathering of sensor data, right? As as, as the original sensor systems were going up at very large scale in the DoD, and there was a policy document and some guidance about where we we're going to go, and it said something about you know uh, the the term that was in the policy document was you know, and we need near real time data you know, from these kinds of sensors in order to drive this and blah, blah, blah. And so so a senior officer was in the room and he's, he's looking at this, he goes, near real time? What? Why wouldn't we ask for real time data? You know, it's like, it's like it's uh, ersatz coffee or, you know, fake, fake something. If, we, uh, if near, we want the real thing. And right. I said, well, sir, um, Asking for this kind of sensor data across you know, the scale you're talking about, we, we call that a self-denial of service attack. <laughs> you know, you would have to pump uh, probes and data be flying back. And, you know, so uh, you, know, you just had this unrealistic expectation, right, that we right. could do all these things. Right. But it was also a reminder to me as I thought about it later. So you might have, for example, to your point about IT and security, the how frequently you sample something, right? The state of configuration, the 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 uh, the, the uh, setting in a in a browser access control list or something. How frequently you might do that is a risk decision, also, right? Correct. Is is a one day data in a configuration management database good enough, or does it need to be more frequent? Or do I, you know, is it forty eight hour data is fine, but I can always query for the current status. And so part of that has to be thought through, right? And again, if you're doing inventory control, that may be a different standard than if you're worried about uh, someone's uh, meddling in, with the security of your configurations of your devices, right? And so you might have a different sort of time constraint for the same data. And I think that's, that uh, helps illustrate your point about you know putting that information that's gathered in context and, and making sure that uh, we think of it as part of our risk decision. You know, how often do I have to sample something before I have confidence in the next decision that I make? So, yeah, yeah great, great example, Sean. So another question sort of that, that I think a lot of folks have is about um, what i call tracking your progress, right? So you've, you know, oh, and I missed the earlier point, your listening tour was not a security listening tour, right? It's to really understand the business. It's to right. understand IT. It's to understand security, but it's also understand the expectations. So I am, and thank you for that really clarified it for me. But uh, you know, you start to do things, right? You you start to put things in place, and this this tracking of progress is, I think, a stumbling block for also. Uh, we we sometimes joke that the uh, universal GRC tool in cybersecurity is uh, Excel, and uh, it's not too far from the truth because you know there's a lot of things that are uh, you see people show you their workflow, right? And it's spreadsheet assignments. You know, here's here's the requirement, here's the tool, here's the human being responsible, here's the deadlines, and it's it's all right out of the Excel handbook. And sometimes that's appropriate, right? And that's how we get started. And sometimes it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty crude hammer for the kind of tool here. But but what are the kind of things that you would advise sort of either getting started on in the business of tracking your progress, uh, or maybe as you mature, you might need more uh, nuanced or more specific or tailored tools? Yeah, no, we all started with Excel. Uh, I mean, it's the most used security <laughs> tool there is, is Excel. Um, 
So my underlying audit program started as Excel. Uh, it was mm -hmm. uh, the controls. How am I going to me measure effectiveness? Uh, let me look at the gap analysis, which was also mm. indicated on the same Excel spreadsheet. Uh, and that gotcha. is now morphed into a, a GRC tool. And so the same spreadsheet, the same tabular structure just now happens mm -hmm. to fit into a capability that allows um, storage of document linkages of uh, policy to this policy enforces this control, this control requires this audit, and we do mm -hmm. that on this cadence. The cadence is then um, distributed via email to the respective audit owner that is uh, retrieved as comments and attachments in our system. Um, we then go in and once that's received, we do the audit uh, from my audit team. And is it uh, valid? Uh, and we'll do kind of four checks. Uh, mm -hmm. Did it pass? Perfect, it did. Well, we're in good shape. One, um, was it received wrong or the intention of what we received was incorrect? No problem, send it back. This is what we're looking for. You know, this is what we need to see. Two, was it a procedural process? Um, there was a procedural error uh, that needs to be corrected as there may have been change management that has not allowed that control to fulfill what we're looking for in terms of it's a new system, it has a new data capability, um, and it's not representing what we need to see. Finally, it's a fail. You know, we have a systemic problem in terms of providing the information required uh, that this control is effective. Okay, no problem. Uh, let's put that on the integrated risk register. Let's assign that and let's work on a mitigation plan. What are we, are we accepting that particular risk? Are we mitigating it? What's our, you know, treatment strategy for this? I you know that tends to bubble, bubble up to the top in terms of at least the audit program and the use of the GRC tool to then influence our um, capability for not only security, but compliance. Then that gives us a measure of compliance against respective frameworks as to we've met 99% of this, this one error had caused, um, or this one issue with a particular control that is now identified as a risk has then been linked to this particular uh, audit element. And we, we go through remediation. So I think starting out, Excel is perfectly fine, but you will eventually, as the, as the program matures, it's going to require that level because there are going to be so many controls that need to be curated in a way that one is audit auditable and most importantly, repeatable. Uh, and so those are the two big elements of why GRC works. So, I mean, part of the maturity of this, right, is you have to be able to present where you are in this you know, roadmap sort of at, at multiple uh, uh, moments to multiple parties, right? So I get to see you, you know, report to our board, at, but, you know, reporting to auditors, right? And so the, and that's a part of the machinery of cyber defense, right? It's not, are you done? It's where are you on the journey? Have you made good decisions? Do you have a plan? Are you executing? What's the status of the items? And so you're able to, you know, roll that up, right? To say, well, the board wants to know certain things, right? And you, I know you have a task to report certain items to them and the status of things they care about, but auditors, I'm sure, have an entirely different view of the world um, and the, the kinds of things that you have to do. And so I, I have to ask you, how many, uh, out of curiosity, how many security frameworks or sort of auditing things do you have to report to? Do you, is there a, um, is it a handful or? It's a handful. Uh, it's uh, okay. five that we utilize internally at the moment. Okay. Um, gotcha. Those cross, uh, obviously, the CIS controls foundational. We have some privacy requirements. Um, we have some NIST elements that are required as part of some contract and vendor. Um, mm -hmm. And so all of those basically compiled. And that's why I mentioned the mapping is so important. 
Uh, and the reason I like the mapping and why I use the CIS to map to others is because of that discrete set of, you know, one measure to one element. And I can say my compliance to what you've described in a paragraph is articulated by CIS control 5.2. And that's the way I'm measuring it. That's the way I'm implementing it. So it makes that conversation that much easier with auditors because like you say, there's a perceptionist issue and also an understanding of the inherent control. And then if I can right. prove my, my understanding on why we've done it this particular way to auditors and other stakeholders, you know, within the organization, both internal and external, uh, it makes uh, my life a lot easier. Uh, is This is the reason why we've done it. This is, uh, you know, representative. Yeah, so well. a lot of this is about sort of uh, both projecting, right, having and projecting the confidence. That, exactly. Like this this plan, you know, follows in this manner and so forth. Yeah. One of the things that the best practices team has done around the controls, as you know, uh, this, this really started to bug me a couple of years ago, this emergence of all these different security frameworks, right? And you know, we'd done some early surveys with uh, some of our company friends that people were telling us they're subject, you know, either by, by, by demand, they have to, or by choice, you know, three, four, five or more frameworks. And so now there's this mapping problem, right? And so we've committed ourselves at CIS to be, uh, to be aware of that problem. And our contribution to it is to say, we will take on the labor of mapping, uh, you know, our, our best practices content to essentially all of the other frameworks that we can find that are relevant and that people will use, you know, whether it's ISO 27001, uh, 853, you know, PCI, et cetera. It's better for the creators of these things to work the mappings as opposed to let everyone figure it out on their own or have to pay someone right. sort of special to do it or let an auditor interpret it on their own or whatever. And so our goal is to make that as straightforward as possible so that folks like you can kind of take that and say, well, I, I use the map, the authoritative map. I use this my control framework. This is the authoritative map from A to B, the one you care about. And therefore, you know, this, this shows that progression. So I think that's a... Um, you know, fits right in with the uh, the notion of right. We we have to not produce. The goal is not to produce the best catalog or the best list. It's right. to produce the the mechanisms that allow us to implement the good intentions of those recommendations. So yeah. I think that's really absolutely. Yeah. Another uh, thing I wanted to ask you about. So we're we're approaching. You know, I won't say the uh, business is back to normal, but we're starting to see events again, mm -hmm. and sort of planning ahead for travel. But the, uh, the the big trade show in the business RSA is coming up. Uh, which will be virtual, and we're doing. Uh, we have a couple presentations there. But so, so tell me your impression as a CISO. I know you've been out there. Uh, yep. Is it uh, helpful? Is it too much? You know, what what would you advise someone to look for if they're in your shoes and they're dealing with these real life issues, all these things that you talked about, right? Making good, understanding where you are, making good choices, tracking your sure. progress, and so forth. Is it uh, just an entertaining week, or is it a really helpful way to 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 allow you to sort of gather more resources or get more knowledge about how to do the job? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it is uh, obviously a massive uh, event that, you know, uh, 50,000 people, I think, it, it, at least at the last numbers I had heard at the, the last in-person one or even more potentially, wow. um, is it's a great event for one, getting uh, a lot of the organizations um, kind of hold their new releases to that point. And so it's mm -hmm. new technologies and things, which is fantastic. I, I mean, uh, I'm all about listening to what's new and, and to see if there's a uh, a really cool way of doing things in terms of the presentations. So the talks, right. you know, that we give and other vendors and uh, other um, experts in the industry, um, I mean, you get to listen to um, kind of uh, the creme de la creme uh, is the way I look at it. RSA is that mm -hmm. place. Um, 
I think also the networking is incredibly useful. It's um, in a lot of cases, it becomes um, where people in my same situation are attending the exact same thing because they're looking to learn about governance, risk, data management, access controls, whatever that happens to be. And striking up conversations is, it's phenomenal. I mean, and that's, mm -hmm. I think that's really the benefit of it is the, the network. There are people in their exact same shoes that probably have the exact same question and working together right. and looking at their perspectives and elements is, uh, I think, a great virtue of RSA. Yeah, you know, it's it's easy to cartoon the, the networking benefit, right? Sure. Oh, it's a big social event and we're all, you know, whatever. Um, but I, I think there's something really powerful there, you know, and I think most of us as human beings, right? We One of the ways we learn best is by learning from someone who's done it. You know, it's similar situation, similar constraints, and the problem is finding them, right? You, it's not easy to sort of make those connections and you start to build, you know, networks of friends through whatever mechanism, social media. But, you know, I, what I found, and for the first few years, I did not attend RSA for quite a few years, actually, because we, we sent an amazing technical guy out there uh, from NSA and he would write the most amazing trip report while I saw it at RSA. And it was so good. I was, this is the truth, true story, Sean. I was embarrassed to spend taxpayer money to go out by myself right, when I would be better off spending the afternoon reading his trip report because it was so amazing, you know, just so astounding and so, so brilliant. Uh, but at some point, I realized that networking value. That is, I could have more, you know, heavy conversations with really amazing people in the span of a week than I could do in six months, you know, from my office, right? Or by trying to make special arrangements to do that. And there was always the, you're talking with someone and they say, hey, you, you need to talk to my buddy. Let me connect you with them, right? And you, you wind up, you know, making all these fresh connections that you did not anticipate before. So, yeah, so I, I became a, a, you know, a big believer in that. There is a high noise factor, absolutely. You know, there is a lot going on and a lot that's um, maybe old stuff in new clothes or whatever, but I think it's, uh, it's also the opportunity, you know, if you use it wisely to really learn a lot of things. One of the things I did a few, for a few years also was um, take all the kids, you know, all the people, that, you know, the, the newer employees were out there the first time. And that, that first Monday or whenever the networking reception was, I forget, you know, where they would they open the floor. And I would take, you know, two, three, four, uh, you know, young people and say, let's just walk the floor together, you know, and let me talk about, you know, kind of what we're seeing here and what seems to be old, what seems to be new, and just to get a sense for that together. Because I found when I was new at this, I found the whole thing so hopelessly intimidating. You know, there's so much noise, and I don't know what questions to ask, and I just, you know, it's it's such a blur. And so having a little, helping, you know, folks who are kind of new to this to sort of, okay, here's what I would be asking this class of vendor, you know, about these kinds of questions. And you might think about that during the week, you know, when you go back around, do that. So. Definitely. I think that's all. Um, let, let me ask you, uh, kind of shift gears one more time, uh, Sean. Again, I always uh, learn so much in in hearing some of these things um, about the role of I'll, I'll call it exercises. All right, so you've you know sure. understand where you are. You've done those, made the choices, done the trade offs, right? Sort of figured out what is important. Sort of put things in place. You have progress, and um, you know a lot of discussion about sort of the, the role of say fishing exercises specifically. Mm -hmm. or sort of exercising your larger business processes like an incident response or something more more broadly. And I know you've you've done a lot of this here at CIS. And tell me about sort of how you think about that. How do you know when an organization is ready? What do you learn from that? You know, and how do you see that as part of your overall program? Sure. No, definitely. Um, I mean, exercises I get value from. Um, in a lot of cases, I use it as a way to measure my internal training program. 
you know, am I effectively sure. communicating the requirement? Um, mm -hmm. And then it's a good, you know, it's a good uh, telemetry. It's a point in time assessment. Again, it depends on how the cadence that you use of these particular exercises throughout the year. Maybe it's one, maybe it's two, maybe it's once a quarter, whatever it happens to be. Uh, but it's always good. Um, you know, I have a lot of fun in terms of coming up with what should the next exercise be. Um, okay. and can I um, can I make it um, so, let's say, tantalizing that I have to click it, that, you know, that there's a requirement that you must click. And uh, yes, so that gets into some of the, you know, the, uh, the fun side of it as well. But mm -hmm. on a serious note, it does um, it for me, it takes a, a kind of a temperature of the organization of the way I usually do these things. And again, it's uh, not all the time because it would become too coincidental is if I have, um, let's say a quarterly uh, training for the for a team and I put fishing examples in that particular training. Um, okay. Once half of the people have done their training, my underlying hypothesis is, well, they, those, they just saw what this would be. And so I do it a little okay. bit of a different template, but the same subject, send that and then see, you know, is the training working? And those that didn't take the training need to take the training because, you know, they've clicked. And it's amazing some of the results you get. And um, so I like that as a temperature test of is mm -hmm. security training effective? Um, how, is, how is the organization reacting to this type of material? Are they looking for the indicators? Do I need to do more emphasis? Um, and so mm -hmm. more, it's really more of a reflection I see on the security program itself than uh, individuals' yeah. perspective on clicking links and things of that nature. No, I think that's a, a great point, Joe. When, when people ask me, I say, you know, we're not going to train our way to 100% success Correct. in this business. And so you want to think of this awareness opportunity, right, in conjunction with the, the technical, more technical program of defenses and, right. uh, you know, things that you're trying to do, right? They're not, they're not, uh, they should not be separate. You should think of them as as a part of a total program, right? And so, yeah, like you said, you're sensing temperature, you're looking at progress, and you're doing that, and you're also designing defenses at the same time, right? To to right. help people not make bad choices, right? <laughs> make it hard to make bad choices, and sort of corral their behavior or manage their behavior in a way that. So, I have to ask you this question: Have you ever done a fishing exercise that kind of blew up? And I, I won't name any names, but I, I was part of an organization where the fish was so good that people started to take personal action that could, could have affected them financially because wow. when they saw kind of what the headline was. And it was like a complete wow. miscalculation. Uh, ever ever uh, stumbled into something like that? And again, I'm not naming any names in the, no, in no. the hopes of protecting um, the innocent. Yeah, I'll take uh, a few of those. Yeah, I've, uh, I don't want to say I've overstepped the mark, but the way I made the, it, it clickable is was to make the subject line um, uh, kind of, uh, they had to click because it was very important to, uh, let's say a financial okay. position or something along those lines. And yeah. okay. you do see the, the numbers go up and then it's, you know, then there's the hands, you got me, you got me. And it, well, it's not about getting you. It was just uh, um, like, we need either then to review our defensive posture, like you mentioned and, mm -hmm. and things of that nature. But yeah, it's- No, no, uh, and, it's you know, uh, human behavior, right? <laughs> is, right. You know, we're, we're all, we all have a trigger, you know, we're all, I mean, right. again, you, you can't think of it as I'm, I'm trying to achieve perfection through this. I'm trying to yeah. raise awareness. I'm trying to you know, measure my progress and all these kinds of things. And I think that's the way to think of it. Now, these are learning exercises, not punitive or so, sort of, uh, you know, pass fail uh, sort of tests. I think that's all 
a part of it. How about the broader question of exercises, sort of of the say leadership decision making around incident response and so forth? Sure. Now, these can be quite complex. I was involved in a lot of this in the Defense Department around, uh, you know, um, trying to understand, make sure we've thought through all the options and what the possibilities might be and have planned for those. I mean, if one thing, the one thing the Defense Department does well is is train and exercise, right? Is to sort of yes. keep repeating to try and uncover all the the hidden assumptions and dependencies, in other words. Any any thought about this from the perspective Definitely. of a CISO in a, in a commercial security company? Yeah, love them. Uh, a tabletop red teaming mm -hmm. scenario analysis, all of these things come together. Uh, and I love doing them because um, I like to bring together a, a diverse set of personnel into those uh, scenarios uh, and walk through them. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a, a perspective. Let me set a tone of an underlying issue. And then mm -hmm. let's walk through what the decision making would be at, at this particular point in time mm -hmm. and then reflect it back in terms of were those the right decisions to make at that particular point in time, you know, with okay. with not sufficient information, because I love keeping information. So I'll have um, in some cases, I'll do a time scenario where we'll start working on a problem for 15 minutes. And then I'll add another element in after that 15 minutes to see if decision-making okay. changes. So I think they're very effective, very effective. Yeah, and I think um, any challenges with sort of getting the executive attention around the exercise, uh, you know, sort of making the time for it and, and you know, sort of taking it seriously. And I don't don't name any names here, but because no, no. uh, that that's a, was always a challenge, right? Because you're asking your senior most people, right, to dedicate a fair amount right. of uh, intellectual energy to these things. Yeah, no, there was um, a CIS, we were on board just given the mm -hmm. direction that I was taking the program anyway. Um, with other organizations, no, uh, and they didn't see the value. They thought it was, um, wasn't was necessarily worth the amount of time that I wanted to dedicate to it. And um, that was detrimental because um, the way I would reflect the underlying problem was recent uh, media so we could mm -hmm. use, you know, particular hacks that we've seen in the, the end of 2020. Right. I would reflect those back as a tabletop and say, well, if we were part of this, what would we have done? Right. Um, and some didn't see the problem until it became an actual problem for us. And then it's, well, where's the procedure? Where's the incident? Who am right. I supposed to contact? And it was, well, um, we're going to have to run this kind of uh, ad hoc because we've we've not practiced, so I always right. like to I say mean, practice <laughs> makes perfect in in a lot of no cases. no. This was real life for somebody sixty days ago, right? And so uh, you know, and it it is challenging, you know, having watched organizations struggle with that right? to make, to take the really put yourself in the moment, right, in the exercise to think right. about these things because and a lot of the senior folks are the only folks who can sort of pull out some of these hidden assumptions, right, or some okay. of these concerns that they have that are going to arise. And I always say the, you know, during an incident is the worst time to meet your lawyer to talk about, you know, exactly. uh, communication strategy or liability or messaging or whatever, you know, all that should have been thought through to the best that you can. There'll always be unknowns, but if you could eliminate 60 or 80% of them, you know, through practice, then there's a, a tremendous value to Definitely. that. I think that's it. So just a couple of uh, sort of wrap up for, for the uh, audience. So I got to ask you one other question. So one of the, the most challenging things for a lot of folks in, these, in this business, myself included, is how do we keep up? Right. So for the role that you yeah. play, I mean, what what any advice for folks who are struggling with the flood of, uh, you know, the hack of the month, the, uh, sure. you know, these and every month there's a, some gigantic, you know, big news solar wind thing that we have to deal with. 
that is easy to distract us from the plan that we had, right? We have to look at them to say, does this change right. my plan or do I need to account for something new? But I think a lot of people struggle with the, where can I spend my attention so that I can sure. decide what's relevant, right? What are the threats I should care about or the vulnerabilities or the, uh, the regulatory issues that are coming down the pike that I have to think about. And you know, it's, I know it's very easy to be overwhelmed by all these. It certainly is. And I find myself in that exact same position being overwhelmed. It's, um, you know, there there is no perfect knowledge in this business, unfortunately. We, we just don't have it. So it's working with teams. I, I'll actually give you something I've been working on recently is uh, using the community defense model uh, that, we you know, was published. Mm-hmm. Defining the threats there that make sense for the context of the organization and simply mm-hmm. using that to focus on the subject material and um, on what I'm receiving. Interesting. Okay. That helps me then build, you know, an underlying knowledge base. It, it's not perfect. Um, but it certainly helps me, um, you know, start to break down, well, um, why am I reading about systems and threats that I, I don't even possess within my organization? They're not even an asset <laughs> right. to the organization. That's right. Why am I reading about this? So it's kind of scoping your intake, but there, there's a flood. Um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, and again, it gets into some FUD as well, into that fear, mm-hmm. uncertainty, and doubt. Right. And it's... Uh, just trying to curate your own list in a lot of cases. You know, I spend a good piece of my morning reading, you know, a couple trusted authors on Twitter, see what they're talking about. I'm um, looking at a couple personal websites um, from those that, you know, I uh, I found to get good information. Krebs being one of them, I think is some great information. Sure. Um, and, and then I can curate from there. And, you mm-hmm. know, if they have external links and go directly to a vendor, whatever it happens to be, or threat intelligence source, and that helps me. Um, I cannot say that I've perfected it yet, though. Uh, I'm, I, I tend to read things that I find interesting as well, even if they're not yeah. within the scope of... That's, uh, that's exactly right. Yeah, so much of this is terrible. just fascinating. It is. No, it's it a is. good point. I, sometimes I talk conceptually about the best practice work at CIS, right? Is We, we try to do the, the work of translating all this you know, Correct. massive amount of knowledge. Translate is the verb that matters to me into something digestible, right? A set of recommendations and so forth. And um, it's the kind of work that every enterprise wishes they could do, but often don't have the time or the people or the, the information feeds to, to do that. And so that's, I think, a, a big value of what CIS does. But it doesn't mean we don't have to spend the time and attention, right, as you described, Absolutely. right? Look, kind of looking for the current events and trying to make a quick calibration. Does it apply to me? I'm fascinated by your, your quip about the CDM. So the, the team is working on version two of that. And so I oh, uh, hadn't really thought about the ro- uh, how you might use that sort of directly. So we'll, we'll have to discuss that as a, as sure. another time to, to see if we can give us some insight to help us you know, uh, refine that model as we get down the road. So, so I wonder, you know, might be time to wrap up, Sean. We'll, uh, sure. There's always another hundred topics for us. But, you know, so just to summarize for the audience, you know, we, we started, this is a two-part discussion. We talked about the, the conceptual thinking about building your cyber defense machine, right, and the notion there's no singular thing you're really designing machine you want to think about the inputs and efficiencies and the outputs that you want uh sean and i walked through mostly sean about sort of okay now what do i do you know how do i figure out where i am what do i how do i start to compose pieces how do i start to track my progress how do i present it to multiple parties like auditors like executives and you know sort of how do i sort of bring along my entire program and um you know, and again, you're, you're building a machine that's a feedback machine, right? You're always testing yourself. Sean mentioned exercises and other mechanisms to pull information in to refine, right? Are the assumptions that I made when I started still good assumptions? Are right. there 
uh, new things that I should account for. That, that maybe my model was good, but my priorities are different because the world is showing me a different kind of attack tradecraft or some, uh, the, the regulatory world is, is sort of operating a different way that would uh, not affect my model, but affect my priorities within a model. And so those are all part of, you know, this whole thinking of the, of the uh, business. Uh, we gave some examples, not a sales pitch, but examples of sort of the work that CIS does to help, help folks with this and any of that kind of stuff. Go to cisecurity.org and we have lots of great information available to you. And we're always happy to engage in these kinds of conversations, right? This is what we do for a living and the role that CIS plays in helping folks uh, think about, you know, how do I uh, improve in a sort of rational and community-based way, right? We're not all on our own. We all can learn from each other. So that was one of our lessons also. Any last thought you want to leave the audience with, Sean, in terms of this whole, you know, your role as a CISO and the sort of uh, things that you think are important about the, the, the mechanism and machinery of cyber defense? Yeah, I, I think you captured it perfectly there in terms of what we've discussed over the last two episodes. It's, um, you know, it's it's not a destination, it's a journey. And, yeah, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're all on the same journey together. So reach out, let's collaborate and, and those things. And uh, again, CIS provides such wonderful, you know, not only do I work there, I'm a consumer. And I have to be because it's so good. So it's, it's... We'll take that as a recommendation. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Thanks, okay, well, thanks thanks to everyone who's tuned into the to the podcast here. We really appreciate your time and attention. And, uh, you know, we're here to, to help you deal with these issues. We're an IT company like, like many of you, and we have the, you know, we have the same issues. And we're happy to share a little insight into both our thinking on the prod problem in general, but also the things that we do internally to help you deal with these problems. So thank you very much. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you are interested in learning more about how to grow your cybersecurity program, the free tools available to help you on your journey, or to get involved with the CIS volunteer community, visit our website at cisecurity.org. Start secure and stay secure.